you'll turn in your Bibles this morning, it'll be in the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we have looked, um, not necessarily in consecutive weeks, but over the past few weeks, um, we have looked in and out at the instructions that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us on how to pray. If you remember the first time we looked at this, we looked at the fact that Jesus spends about as much, probably more time, teaching us on how not to pray. We're not to pray as the heathen, and we're not to pray as the hypocrite. But then Jesus gets in to some instructions in verse number 9. And we looked at after this manner, therefore pray ye our Father which art in heaven. Whew, hallowed be thy name. We looked at the fact that we are supposed to hallow the name of God. When you come into the very presence of God, when you walk into the throne room of God, when you come before God, you're supposed to come in first and foremost in an attitude of praise, in an attitude of thanksgiving. We're supposed to come in first and foremost when we walk into his presence and hallow the name of God. Then we looked at the fact that he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. When we come into the presence of God, once we have hallowed his name, once we have praised his name, we are to pray that thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are to pray that God's will be done right here on earth the same way that it is in heaven. Now, in order to pray that, that means that we are to pray that the will of God be done in our lives the same way that it's done in the lives of the angels. There's not an angel in heaven that does not obey every command of God Almighty, do exactly what God says do. We are to pray, God, in my life, will you be in me in a way that I would obey you the same way that the archangel Michael obeys you, that your perfect will be done in me the same way that it is done in heaven. Then we move from the heavenly praise and the heavenly desires down to some earthly needs. We do have some needs in this life. There are some things that we have to have to sustain life. And he says that we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That is the provisions for today. You know, sometimes with the provision you need is grace just to get you through this day. Sometimes you just need God to reach down, put his hand up under you and hold you back, hold you up. Give you a shoulder to lean on, somebody to cry on. Whatever the provisions are for that day, God, will you give us daily bread? Give us what we need for this day. Then he said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you remember, we have some responsibilities there. We have a job to do, and that is to forgive some other people. We don't just get to live in all this grace that God bountifully opens up and pours on us, but we're supposed to forgive some folks. Anybody ever wronged you, say amen. Anybody ever ruffled your feathers, did something, said something about you? You heard they said something behind your back? We're supposed to forgive those people. As a matter of fact, we looked at where Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar, what is your gift? It is hallowed be thy name. Your gift is your praise. Your gift is the only thing you have worth anything to God. The thing that you have to praise him and to give your life a living sacrifice, you don't have anything else that's worth anything to God. And Jesus said, hey, if you bring your hallowed be thy name, if you come down here to pray, if you come down here to praise him, and you remember, therefore, that a brother hath ought against thee, leave thy gift at the altar. you got to go make some restitution with some folks. Anybody patched anything up since that sermon? Anybody made some phone calls since that message? Anybody fix some things that was hindering your prayer since that day so you can move on? So before we can even get to the prayer, you got to back back up. you got to take this forgive others before you can get to the hallowed be thy name. But this morning, I want to look at verse number 13. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father God, I pray you take this message. God, I pray you take your word. God, I pray you continue, God, to teach it to me. 
I thank you for what you've taught to me, and I pray even today, God, this morning, will you continue to teach to me, God, that I might learn something. Father, I pray that you would teach through me, God. I pray you'd speak to your people. I pray that your sweet, holy presence right now, will you band every demon, every Satan, every devil out of this place. God, I pray that you'd remove any hindrance from anybody in this place. I pray that you'd sit down in the lap of everybody in this place, and I pray you'd speak to each one as only you can do, God. I know that this one message can be split 400 ways and say 400 different things when you're in it, God. I pray right now you move in this place in a mighty way. And God, I'll pray just as I prayed at the altar already this morning. I pray that on this day that a lost soul would be saved. I pray that on this day that a broken marriage would be mended. I pray that on this day that a wayward child would come home. I pray that on this day that a sick would be made whole. I pray that on this day, God, that things change, Father. I pray you'd help each one of us. God, that we become a mighty vessel, a mighty tool in your hand. I pray that some lives would surrender on this day and say, Here am I, Lord. Send me. And you'd send some to the mission fields, God. I pray you'd do a mighty work, God. I don't want it to just be an idle time. I don't want it to just be tradition, God. I don't want to just come sit in the fellowship of men. I'm asking you, God, will you move in a mighty way in this place right now? God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We, um, <clears throat> this morning, as, as we look and deal with temptation, there has never been a generation that has been more tempted than the world that we live in today. Amen? Amen. We, um, I mentioned Rich Pike a while ago, and, and, of course, that is our chairman of the deacons. He's also over, over the Costa Rica trip that's going out. Um, but his wife, Lisa, um, this week her mom went home to be with the Lord. And Miss McElwainy's funeral, I think that was Thursday, wasn't it? I told you, I can't keep my days right. Thursday, but the preacher that preached that, he made a statement. And, and it stood out to me because it went right in line with the title of the message this morning. He was talking about Mrs. McElwainy's life, and he was talking about how some people claim to be Christians, but you can't tell it because they blend in like everything else. But he talked about how people that look like Christians, live like Christians, act like Christians, walk and talk like Christians. You know, we, we ought to be different. And, and this is what he said. He said that she was living right side up in an upside down world. And he said that's what every Christian we ought to be. We ought to be living right side up in an upside down world. Well, the reason it stood out because I already had the title of the message planned for this week. If God didn't change anything in the title that I want to look at this morning is Does the World Think You're Weird? Every generation of mankind has been faced with temptation. As we looked at last Sunday night, I believe it was, we had only made it into the third chapter of the Word of God before the devil comes slithering into the scene, offering his temptation. And, and he came in, and ever since that day, all of mankind has faced the wiles of the devil. But I don't know that there's ever been a generation that has faced the temptations of the devil more than the one that we live in today. The devil comes into our home every day. We carry him around in our pockets and those little things called a cell phone, walking, talking, computer, every day. There is never a time when evil is not present with us. Sin is piped into our homes in living color. It doesn't matter what channel you watch. It doesn't matter what program you watch. It seems like the commercials cannot be avoided. There seems to be no limit as to what they can advertise today. I'm like, really, man? Some of those problems I just don't even need to know about, and, and you put them on. 
there seems to be no content as to what they can put. And we're talking about prime time television, watching what was supposed to have been a good show with your children, and that comes on. There seems to be no way to hide from the filth that they put out there. We face the garbage of the Internet. The Internet is probably, I, I wouldn't even say probably, I would tend to say that the Internet is one of the greatest tools that we have ever known with the greatest access to sin that we've ever seen. Our children are suffocated with temptations on every corner. Our, our culture is filled with temptation. Sexual content and temptations are, are more prevalent than they have ever been before. Greed and hatred is shoved down our throats in this society and it's become such a commonplace in society that it takes place right before our eyes and we hardly even notice it anymore. Mom and dad, you, you need, need to hear me. If you do not monitor what your children are watching and looking at, the enemy's going to steal your children before you can get them out of elementary school. If you're not careful about what you allow in your home, if you're not careful about what you allow them to see and the things that they do, they're going to steal your children while you're watching. And you won't even notice until it's too late to do anything about it. We've seen the system of this world played out so much through our minds in recent days that we have become desynthesized to sin. In the last of the petitions here, Jesus says to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. One thing important to remember as we look at this, at this prayer is that God will never tempt you with evil. We know from the book of James chapter 1, this says, let no man say when he is tempted, I have tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, if that's true, and that is true, because the word of God says it's true. So if that's true, then why do we pray God lead us not into temptation if God doesn't tempt us anyway? Well, you, you've got to look at words. You've got to look at what words mean. And we have to look at that word temptation. It comes from the Greek word parosimos, which is to putting to proof by experiment of good. It is solicitation or discipline. It comes from the root word parazo, which means to test, to entice, or to examine. So when we use this word Temptation in our English language, we think about being seduced to do evil. But when we look at it here in the Greek language, sometimes it simply means going through some difficult times in order that you might be tested. Jesus isn't talking about praying, Father, don't seduce me to do evil. He's saying, Father, don't let me go into a time of testing during which time I will be tempted to do wrong. With every trial, there is an opportunity. You have the opportunity to pass. You have the opportunity to fail. Amen. See, a test isn't all that bad. You think about it and you're in school. For those of us that can remember that far back, it's been a while. Your teacher gave you a homework assignment. Go home, read this chapter. She gave you a piece of paper, and on that piece of paper had 10 questions. Read the chapter in the book. Answer these 10 questions. That's your homework. Bring them back. So you go home, you do your work, you come back the next day. I don't know how it is now. Y'all got all these computer books, whatever they just handed out. In, in my day, we actually had pencils and paper, and we had to write some stuff, so we learned how to spell and how to write and things like that. And 
crazy stuff. It blew the mind of the young people I know, but we really did. And at the end of the day, we had to pass those to the front of the classroom. The teacher would come across the front, and she would take those up, and that would be our grade for our homework assignment. But then sometimes she would walk back to the end of the row, and she'd say, pass these back. And she would hand out that exact same piece of paper with that exact same 10 questions. She'd say, we're having a pop quiz today. Now, here's the deal. It's the exact same 10 questions that you just handed in on your homework. If you read the chapter and if you answer the 10 questions, you're excited about the test because you're about to get an easy 100 because you just did these last night. It's not the test that mattered. It was all about the preparation. The test isn't the scary part of life. It's all about preparation. The same is true in life. If you have prayed, if you have read God's Word, if you have prepared for the test, then you can look forward to the test, knowing that God is about to use you to do something great. God is about to strengthen you. God is about to grow you. God is about to move you. God is about to call you to a higher level. God is putting you in a test that God himself might prove you to be worthy, that God himself might work through you and pass the test, that God himself might change you forever. But it's all about the preparation. It's when we haven't prepared for the test that we either fear the test or we fail the test. Amen? When I was in high school, I was a B student. You know why I was a B student? Because I was told I had to be. When I was in school, I don't know how it is now, you had to have a 3.0. I had to have a 3.0 to play on the football team. And I had to have a 3.0 to play on the baseball team. But mainly I had to have a 3.0 because my mom said I did. Right. Mom and dads pay for insurance and all the moms and dads said amen. And if you had a 3.0 when I was in school, they got a better insurance rate. So my mom said if you want to drive a car, you'll have a 3.0. So I made sure that I had B's. Now, I did slip up and make a few A's, but to offset that and make sure there were no great expectations, I had some C's to keep things honest. <laughs> keep things right there in my B average because that was all I had to have. I was a B student. I can honestly tell you, I could have been so much more. I could have been so much more. I did just enough to get by. When I went to college, <laughs> I had to learn some things. See, I, I didn't ever believe in homework. I still don't. Kids, y'all would love me as a teacher. My kids went to LaGrange Academy. They'll tell you, tick me off. I had some parent-teachers conferences over. You better quit sending that garbage home. My boy got to learn how to work. My girls got to learn how to work. They some hunting and some trucks need fixing. They some stuff needs to be done. And it ain't coming out of your book. Don't be sending your junk home. They didn't ever listen. They kept sending on homework. <laughs> but I hated it when I was in school. And since I'm a dad, I'm going to get my two cents worth in while I can. It got to the point that they'd say, Lord God, no, just don't send your daddy back up here. Just tell him don't come back up here. I believe you're going to teach him in school, teach him in school. But you got home, there's some stuff mom and dad ought to be teaching them. Instead, they come home. You think they're doing the homework. They're sitting there watching that garbage on TV and you're letting things get out of hand. But I, I did do my homework as long as the bus ride was long enough. I lived at the county line. The people that lived on the other side of the lake, my neighbors, they went to a totally different school. It was a different county. I, I was the first one picked up and the last one off. That means I had an hour ride in every morning and an hour ride out every evening. So I did my homework on the bus. Didn't do too much on the way home because I was a little too geared up at the end of the day. So, you know, in the mornings, even though it's dark, I'd sit down in the seat, get my knees up on the one, get, and that's when I do my homework. 
If I had a test, I would study then, and y'all know how it is. You got five minutes between classes, and if we had a test, I might run in there and use my last three of those five minutes to study and cram and get ready for the test, and I was a B student. I got to college, I was introduced to a real world. I'm used to the first day of school. First day of school, you walk in, they do roll call, right? How many know that first day of school is designed for roll call? That's all the teacher's supposed to do on the first day of school is call the roll, make sure you're there. You're supposed to get to talk to your friends and find out what they did over the summer and find out what all they did and where they went. You're not supposed to be doing schoolwork on the first day of school. Somebody forgot to tell my college professor that. I walked in. He didn't even take roll. You know what I learned? He didn't give a flying two cents if I was there or not. You paying for the class. You stupid enough not to come. I don't care. They didn't care nothing about me. And what's even worse than that, as soon as he told me who he was and what this class was about, he started handing out notes. I'm like, what in the world? Did somebody forget this first day of school? Where did this guy come from? What planet is him? I took 12 pages of notes first day of school. I thought, we just did a whole semester in one day. <laughs> Gave us three chapters to read in a book. I don't read. Well, I do now, but I hated to read. I had to learn some things. I'm a work in progress. Anybody a work in progress? God had to change some stuff, and you all learned that reading is knowledge. Reading is an invaluable tool. Reading teaches you stuff. But in the day, I hated it. Now, the teachers, they would give you this homework, and for a test, you know, everything came out of your textbook. So there's no reason to read the textbook anyway because that's what you're doing in class. Well, I thought the same would be true. He gave us three chapters to read. I said, I'm not reading no three chapters. Man, there's fish to be caught today. So I did what I always do. Well, by Friday, we get ready to have a test. You got 10 or 12 pages of notes a day. I had more than, I had a book worth of notes to read. But I learned something else. Most of my college professors, which, by the way, on the first day of school, you know, that's also the day that they hand out textbooks. Not in college. They expect you to have already bought that yourself before you got there. They don't, they don't give you nothing. So what I learned was that all those 10 or 12 pages of notes I was getting, that's from outside source information. I, you bought the book. That's for you to read. You learn that. I'm giving you a wealth of information. This is college. Now, when we got to the test, half of the test was over the notes, and the other half was over the reading, which I hadn't read, which means the very best I could have made on that test was a 50. I made a whole lot less than that. <laughs> what I learned, was it the only way I was going to get through college with my 3.0 was to be prepared every day? It wasn't the test that was the problem. It was the amount of preparation that I had going into the test that determined how well I was going to do. The same thing is true in this life. It's all about the preparations. Did you spend time in God's Word this morning? Did you spend time on your face before God preparing for this day this morning? Have you put on the whole armor of God before you left the house? Are you prepared for the test that will come in your life today? That's what it all boils down to. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, we've been going through 1 Corinthians in our study, and we looked at chapter 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Everybody goes through temptations. Even Jesus went through temptations. The devil doesn't spare anything. He tempts everybody. Amen. Being tempted is not a sin. What you do with the temptation is what determines whether or not it's a sin. Sin only enters when you fail the test. You know, there, there are those 
in the church houses, you know, holier than thou? Well, if you're walking with God, you'll not have to go through those tests. If you're you know, working in the church and paying your tithes as I am and, and doing all the things right such as I am, you'll never go through a test. Well, apparently they never read the book of Job. Because he was a man who was perfect and upright in all his ways. He went through one of the most horrific tests that none of us ever want to have to deal with. I can tell you this morning, the more you serve, the more the enemy wants to come after you. The more the devil's coming your way. The more you deserve, the more you desire to serve God with your life, the greater the target will become on your back. Those of you who are working in the church, those of you who have been down here working on the, the Wednesday night and working on the Friday and working on the float and working on Judgment Journey and putting your life and pouring all you can in, there's a target on your back. Those of you who are witnessing at work, telling people about Jesus, trying to stand out and be different, I'm telling you there's a target on your back. The devil is coming after you, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It all boils down to prepare for the day, and I don't have to worry about what the enemy thinks. We're in a battle. Anybody say amen? We're in a battle. In a battle, it takes everybody. In a battle, it takes everybody. Any time, even in spiritual battles, it takes everybody. If you go to a physical battle, it, it takes not only the men on the front line, but, but it takes some cooks back at the camp doing some cooking. There, there's got to be some food. It, it takes some medical personnel, right, so, to take care of the wounded. It takes an intelligence. It takes all the people back in the office making the decision. matter of fact, my sister, I get killed today. They're both here. My sister's home from Alaska. Uh, both of my sisters here, my dad's birthday was... Wednesday, my dad was 87. He said, I wasn't supposed to tell that. On Wednesday. And so my sister's home from Alaska. And y'all know Regina. That's Myra. And Regina's home. Moved down from North Carolina. My, my son is over here. And my daughter-in-law and my daughter. This is my entire family. We, we have a family reunion. Um, there's about three or four other Yanceys. And that's about it. Um, there, there's not many of us left. My sister uh, is retired Navy. Where's Pat? Pat, Pat, uh-huh, Pat said, amen, thank you, hallelujah. Brother Larry over behind the camera said, yep, yep, Navy, go Navy. Uh, retired from the Navy, she was an officer. My sister, um, one of her 10 years toward the end of her retirement there in the Navy, she worked up in the Pentagon. She worked in intelligence. That's why I'm a B student. She came before me and she got it all. <laughs> there was none left. Um, but she worked in intelligence there in the Pentagon. And, and, and when you go into a battle, those people are necessary. They plan strategies. They put everything out so everyone in the battle is necessary. But the men on the front line are the ones getting shot at. Mm, I could have stayed right out of that, couldn't I? The, the front line soldiers, they're the one that the enemy's trying to kill right now. The ones on the front line are the ones that's got the bullets going by. They're putting everything on the line. Are you paying attention? They're putting everything on the line in the battle. But they're also the first ones to get to see the victory. They don't have to wait on a radio transmission. They don't have to look down on satellite. They don't have to wait on nobody call them. They don't have to depend on how well somebody tells the story. They are there to experience the victory firsthand. But there was a lot of preparation went into the victory, amen? They, they had to do a lot of work before there was a victory. There was some tests along the way and some hard-fought battles, a lot of preparation. But now 
They have seen the victory firsthand. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. So how does the temptation work? Well, the first step of the temptation is deceit. Those of you that are nose, t- note, nose takers, note takers, nosy note takers, whichever way you want to be. Those of you that are note takers, you may want to write it down. I got, I got you about four D's right here that go with temptation. But the, the first step in the temptation is deceit. It's one of the least obvious steps because many times we're not even aware that it's going on. Somehow, the devil in this slithering cunningness seems to bring stuff in and, and begins to convince us of the idea that what we're doing, oh, it's not really all that bad. It's just this. It's just that. It's, it's not that bad. It's not what everybody, you know, another, another lie devil going to tell you, oh, I deserve it. And you know, the reason I'm stealing that money is because you know, I, I do more work in here they pay me for anyway. They got plenty. They ain't never going to miss it. You know, or the reason I'm getting here late or leaving early, that's the same thing as stealing. You, you're paid on the clock. You're not, you know, I, don't, I don't got in a melon. I need to stay away from that one. Um, I didn't mean to get near off over there. Well, you know, I, I know, I know um, she and I are a little friendly at the water fountain. But, but, you know, I mean, after all, he gives me some attention. My husband don't do none of that at home. Or, you know, I mean, she talks to me. My wife don't give me any. Somehow we begin to explain that stuff away like, oh, it's not really all that bad. And then somehow in all of our desire and in all of our self-centeredness, the devil begins to convince us that it's okay. So we're deceived as to the seriousness of our sin. After deceit comes a desire. The devil will show you something that you want. Make no mistake about it. I've told you many times, the devil knows you better than you know yourself. He's got a record book on you. He knows what you like. He knows what you don't like. He's not going to waste your time or his by tempting you with something that doesn't matter. He knows the thing that rattles your cage, the thing that pulls your string, and he's going to use something that he knows you desire, and he's going to present that as your temptation. After the deceit has created something to be desired, the desire gives in to deliberation. We begin to privately debate in our minds the potential of actually possessing that thing that we desire. We begin to play it over and over in our mind until we actually begin to desire that thing that the devil has put out there. And we convince ourselves that we can't live without it. We imagine only the good. See, deliberation leads to defeat. Because you don't think about the consequences of all of it. You only think about the good part of it at that particular moment. Amen? Amen. And then the deliberation leads to defeat. We actually carry out that thing that we had deliberated on, which brings us back full circle to deceit. Because we try to lie to everybody else like it's not happening. We we try to cover it up, and, and it leads us back into deceit. So for those of you who were here Last Sunday night, you got a little bit of a head start on people this morning. Last Sunday morning, along with last Sunday night, along with this morning, the Word of God always ties together, so the more of it you get, the better it is. Amen? But I told you last Sunday night that in the book of Genesis, it's a book of beginnings. It's a book of first. Everything in it is first. And, and one of the things that we know is there's a principle called the principle of first mention. That means the first time something's mentioned in the Word of God, it will carry that theme throughout the Word of God. That, that, that is that principle. 
I told you that the devil entered in to the equation with the simple question, hath God said? All it took was that little degree of doubt. There was a deception which led to a desire, which led to deliberation, which led to defeat. A sinful decision will always bring a sure defeat. The devil does the same thing to you and I today. He's not changed his plans any. Look at it. Look, look, look at how beautiful it is. See, see how it's something to be desired? See, the devil always paints a picture, this beautiful picture. And he always paints a picture with some brown grass in your yard and the green right over there. The devil will always paint the picture for you that the grass is greener over there. He always leaves out the detail that the reason it's greener is because that's where the septic tank's at. He don't tell you that part. He just wants you to see that the grass is greener. So the devil asked the question, hath God said, surely you'd not die. It's just one simple bite of a fruit. I mean, you're not going to die over that. It's not all that bad. So it begins to diffuse the depth of the sin. So Eve deliberated on it until she was defeated by it. The sin... Anybody, look, look at your neighbor. Anybody asleep? Wake them up. Wake them up. Make sure everybody's awake. I want them to hear this and then go back to sleep. Tell them, give me just a minute. You can finish your nap out in a minute. The sin is not only the fact that you took of the sin, but it is the fact that you chose. The sin is the fact that you chose your will over God's will. That's the sin. Now, possibly one of the worst parts of the sin is what we know from the garden is that God came walking in the cool of the day to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. All he wanted to do is talk with them. All he wanted to do is have a relationship with you. All he wanted to do was come with you in the cool of the morning and sit down and chat with you. But because of sin, we find that Adam and Eve had hid themselves from the presence of God. God desired fellowship and they were hid. That'd be a fair question for all of us this morning. Are you running to God? Or are you hiding from God? It's determined by the amount of sin. That, that's a fair enough question to ask this morning. Satan hadn't changed his mind. He still does the same thing today. He does exactly what he's always done. And what's so bad is he's done it to us before and we fell before and we fall again for the same old trick. We just keep on falling. He just changes the wrapper a little bit and wraps the sin up in a little bit different colored paper. And we open up the same poison again. Paul said in second. Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we're not ignorant of his devices. Man, we know what he does. Yet we fall for it anyway. You know why? Because we do not prepare ourselves for the test. James said in chapter 4, submit yourselves therefore unto God, or therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We spend time in prayer and we spend time alone. We spend time with God and his word. We'll see the temptation for what it is and we'll flee from it. And when we flee from it, the Bible says that the devil will flee from us. And as a frontline soldier, we'll get to see the victory firsthand. It's all about preparation. So our prayer says, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. We still got time. I'll be out by one, I promise. To, to deal with the temptation... 
We need to ask for help in advance. That's consistent with what Jesus did with the disciples. Remember Matthew chapter 26 when he went to the garden. We do it right here in the play. And the disciples stopped and Jesus went a little further to pray. But he come back and the disciples were asleep. And, and he had to wake them up. Y'all remember? And he said in Matthew chapter 26 verse 41. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing. But the flesh is weak. That's what you and I need to do. We need to watch and pray so that when the temptation comes, we'll recognize it for what it is so that your faith fails you not. We need to pray in expectation of the temptation. If you expect it, you won't be caught off guard by it. If you expect it, you won't be surprised when it gets there. We are to pray in expectation of the temptation. Put on the whole armor of God that ye be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's our instruction. There's only two things in the Word of God that I saw in this little short study. If you find another one, you're welcome to tell me. But I only see two things in the Word of God that we're told to flee from. One of them is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. We just studied it recently. We are to flee idolatry. It's one thing that the Bible tells us to flee. The other one is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse number 22. Flee also youthful lust. That is things like fornication. That is things like sexual impurities. Those are the only two things that God says don't do battle with those things. Run from them. Flee from them. Stay away from idolatry. Stay away from youthful lust. Stay away from sexual impurities. Those are things that will get your mind bogged down and will draw your body in and it will cause you to fail. Run from those things. Stay away from them. There's two areas. Romans chapter 13 verse 14. Paul said, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So if there's sin in your life, you've got to remove yourself from it. You've you got to get away from it before it removes you from the will of God. Make no provisions for the flesh. Separate yourself from those things that you know will entice you into sin. If, if you and I together as Faith Baptist Church, y'all bear with me for a minute. Whoever that was, I told them they could go back to sleep, wake them up and tell them I told a story. They need to wake up and pay attention again. If you and I, as Faith Baptist Church, if we all came together as one body, we'd be one glorified body. If we all came together as one body and we brought all of our sin and all of our fault and all of our failures and we cast them into the fire, we gave it all to the Holy Spirit so that we walked out a pure vessel ready to be used by the will of God and left all sin here, God would not only change us, he would not only change Faith Baptist Church, but he would answer the prayer that we have so earnestly prayed for the past year in Commitment 2018. God, will you deliver the lives of those in Troop County? Will you deliver our Jerusalem and our Judea in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you help us to be a lighthouse that changes our town? Will you help us to be everything that you want us to be? Will you help us to live a life pleasing to you that changes everything around us? That the name of Jesus Christ be glorified, that his name be magnified right here in our hometown. If we would put it all in, if every one of us would put all our sins in, God would bring great revival to this town. I can prove it. Y'all know I don't preach stuff that I didn't read in the Bible. There's a story about it in the book of Acts chapter 19. The apostle Paul has been preaching. The Bible says that he did great signs and wonders. He did many mighty miracles, and he, and he healed the sick, and he came, and the Bible says, where am I at? I don't know. He said in verse number 17 of chapter 19, the book of Acts, this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. 
fear fell on them and on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Verse number 19 says, Many of them also which used curious arts. The Hebrew for that, just so you know, that is things that means like witchcraft. That, that is magicians. That is Ouija boards. That is crystal balls. That is soothsaying. That is demonics. That's what that is. He's saying that they, they brought those things like curious arts. They brought their books together and they burned them before all men and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. There was a revival because they brought all their sin and they burned it in the fire. And it not only changed all them, but it changed their entire town. God put a revival that turned all their hearts toward God. I'm telling you this morning, God is no respecter of persons. What God did for that church and what God did for the city at Ephesus, God will do for Faith Baptist Church and God will do for LaGrange, Georgia, if he just finds some people that were willing to sell out and commit everything to him. Pour everything into serving him and leave all the sin behind. If you're harboring any sin in your life, we're to turn from it. If you're harboring sin, you're on the road to defeat. It's just a matter of time. I, I brought, I like illustrations and I hardly ever use them. But I brought one because it's so simple. Such a little flame kindles a forest fire. You look at the forest fires and all that's going on and the millions of dollars and the lives that have been lost out on the West Coast. It started with a simple spark. It started with a flame. That's what a sin is in your life. And the devil, once he gets us to look at that sin and think, oh, it's not all that bad. It's just a little flame. There really ain't much to that. I can handle that. It's, 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 it's not all that bad. Look how small and, and innocent it is. Well, well that'll, that'll never bother me. You fool with it long enough. It will burn you. That's the only way you're ever going to get rid of it. You've got to put sin out of your life. Before it, before it burns you and you drop it and it kindles a forest fire that destroys your life, destroys your home, destroys your marriage, destroys your testimony, destroys everything you ever wanted in life. And it started with something so small because you thought you could handle it. God help us. You can't pray. You can't pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil walking around holding hands with the devil. You, you can't pray for the power of God to do mighty things in your life while the friend you're walking with is the devil. We've got to change some things. You, you need to clean up what you're reading. You need to clean up what you're watching. You need to clean up what you're listening to. You need to clean up the things that's coming out of your mouth. You, you need to clean up all of the garbage that's going on in your life. James says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. If you're going to remove sin and temptation, then you must remove the provisions of the flesh out of your life. Our prayer is to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's one of the first things we've got to get right. It can't be all amongst the brethren. We, we can't even come to this prayer. We can't even do this prayer. We can't even come, hallowed be thy name, until we've got that part right. The Christian who really wants to live their life pleasing to God doesn't try to live as close to the fence as they can. The Christian that really wants to live the Christian life doesn't try to see just how close to the edge they can get. 
A Christian that really wants to live a life pleasing to God doesn't try to walk just as close and say, hey, just how much can I get away with before God starts taking some things away? God help us. There's a story. A story about a king. Um, late 1800s, King Alfred. King Alfred, go, go ahead and go ahead and stand to your feet. I'm, I'm going to close with this story right here. It'll help you wake up. The story, the story by King Alfred, he, he made a promise to all travelers. Can, can I tell you we're all travelers? Does anybody know that we're all travelers? We're just pilgrims in this land, just passing through. We're, we're, we're just moving along, passing by. We're, we're headed to a promised land. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead and shout right there. It's all good. Y'all done got blood in your legs. You done got woke up. We're just travelers passing through. The king made a promise to people traveling. He said, if you'll stay on the high road, you'll be protected. It's called the king's highway. And he said, I've got my people positioned along the king's highway. And as you travel, if you'll stay on the king's highway, you'll be safe. You'll be protected. Now, if you decide you want to travel through the valleys, if you decide you want to get up and meander amongst the caves and the mountains, if you want to try to take some shortcuts, you're on your own. My provisions are on the king's highway. You can travel through this life on the king's highway, fully protected by the king's promise. It says, I have you. You can surely get safely to where you're going. But you've got to stay on the king's highway. Too many Christians today want to live in the shortcuts. They still want the provisions of God. They want the protection of God. They want the hand of God. They want the blessings of God while walking around, living life too close to the things of the devil. I'll close with this thought. The world that we live in today is in the hands of the enemy. We, we are surrounded by the attacks of the enemy. We are surrounded by the devil. We live in a world that is full of, of wickedness and thinks of evil continually. Amen. That's what we're surrounded by. If this world is filled with evil, and if you are living right side up in an upside down world, if you are witnessing the people at work, if you are inviting people to church, if you're trying to live your life pure and holy and righteous before God, people are going to think you're weird. You did what? Every Friday and Saturday? Five weeks? In the rain? Are you crazy? Why, why are you always going to church? You did that on Saturday night. You got to bed at 2.30 and you got back up and, and you went to church on Sunday? Why are you always talking about Jesus? Don't you have anything better to talk about? The question is, does the world think you're weird if they don't you're walking too close to the world the word of God says come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord if you come out from among them and be ye separate you're going to look different act different walk different and talk different they're going to know there's something different about you it may be to show up to support a ball game on a Friday night for some high school people, but if you'll let the light of Christ shine through you, they'll know there's something different about you. And if we're going to change our town for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to put all of our sins in and get that junk out.
going to have to cast everything in and let God bring a revival to us as his people. Amen. What God did at Ephesus, God can do in LaGrange. It's up to us. I wonder if we're willing to come together this morning as one and put all of our sins on this altar. I thought about naming some sins, but I'm not going to do that. Because if I were to list some sins right now that we took as the big things and we named them off, if I were to leave your sin out, you would think that mine isn't all that bad. It must be okay. He didn't name mine, so I'm not going to name any of them. You know what sin is. And you know what the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. I wonder if we could just all come this morning and ask us, God, help us. Help us to live a life pure and holy. Help us to be clean and righteous. God, help me that when a sinful thought enters my mind, I think that was last Sunday night. You might have missed that one too. Maybe it was Sunday morning. When a sin enters my mind, it's not a, a sin for it to enter your mind. It's only a sin when you give it a room and let it stay. When you give it a place to reside. Y'all remember I used the example of a motel. They come through the, through the front room. That ain't all that bad. It's when you give them a room and let them stay. God, help me. Anybody in here ever have anything come through your mind? If you say no, you're either lying or you ain't breathing. You, you, can't, you can't even try to look up somebody's number on your phone. Stuff pops up in phones. How do they even get your number? You, you, look on, you look on the computer. You're just trying to watch TV. You're just trying to watch a ball game. You're just trying to relax for a few minutes. And, and they put stuff on. Listen, can I tell you something? There's something comes on one of them commercials that means something to everybody in this place. What bothers me may not bother you, but something bothers you. They show you a picture of something. And whatever it is that you see, whatever it is they're advertising, something bothers everybody. And all of a sudden, it enters your mind. God, help us to control those thoughts. Help us, God, to be what you want us to be. Oh, if we want God to use us to move this town, if we want God to use us in a mighty way and use us to spread the gospel that not only changes our town, but that we be what God said to be in Jerusalem and in Judea and into Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. If we want God to do that through us, we got to be pure first. We got to let go of holding hands with the world. We got to be weird to the world. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Could I ask your heads bowed, eyes closed this morning? If there's anybody in this place you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. One simple question. If you died right now, do you know for a fact that you'd go to heaven? Do you know that you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know that you've surrendered your life to him? Do you know that you've asked him to wash away all your sins in his own precious blood? Do you know that he's written your name in the Lamb's book of life? If you know, then you know you're going to heaven according to the word of God. The question is, have you done it? If you've never trusted Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, don't leave here this morning that way. Don't leave here knowing that if Jesus Christ comes today or tomorrow, or if you were to die in an automobile accident, that you'd spend an eternity in hell because you rejected the free gift of God. Are you willing to confess your sins? That's first and foremost. You have to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Yes, Lord. Are you willing to pray that, Lord, I am a sinner? Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins? Are you willing to ask him, Lord, will you save my soul in Jesus' name? I want my name in the Lamb's book of life. I want to go to heaven when I die. I'm asking you, Jesus, to
to save my soul. That's not a magic prayer. You got to believe that in your heart. It's up to you to surrender your heart to God. And I want to tell you something. I'm not selling you fire insurance. You don't, you don't get to come in and get salvation and walk out. I'm asking you to surrender your life. That he not just becomes your Savior, but he becomes your Savior and Lord. That he is not only the one that saves your soul from hell, but he becomes Lord of your life. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to come into my heart and save my soul in Jesus' name. If you really trust God, it's that simple. If anybody said that prayer this morning, I'm not